Welcome to Far North Tokers. This is episode 42, November 22nd, 2016, with your host, Midtoker. Thank you all for listening. Today's show, we are going to talk about the cash system in cannabis. Um, it's always been a cash system, right? I've never paid for my cannabis with, an, with a credit card, never paid with my cannabis with an ATM. Uh, we always paid with cash. Now, legal market is bringing new things. Um, a lot of federal regulations are not allowing any kind of credit, bank access, paying your taxes electronically. I'm not sure really how that's going to work. They're saying we can in some instances. What's going to happen? I'm going to share three stories with you today about the cash system in cannabis and how it's how it's affecting the industry. First of all, this is from the Juno Empire, November 20th, recent story, a couple days ago, um, by James Brooks. Cannabis money already reaching state coffers, but industry isn't yet self-funding. All right. What are they doing with all this money? You're going to find out they are making a lot of money already. Taxes start going in next week. And where does that money go? Where is the cash held? Are they, is the state going to be holding some big vault with a bunch of cash? Scrooge McDuck jumping in the coins? What bank account, what bank is holding the state of Alaska's money? How is it going to be turned from cash into electronic? What, what, what is that? What's happening? Let's get back to the story. The state of Alaska will begin to collect its first cannabis taxes this month, but records from the Alaska Alcohol and Cannabis Control Office show that the nascent industry has already paid more than three quarters of a million dollars in fees since the first license requests were filed in 2015. According to the results of a public records request filed by the Empire, thank you, Juno Empire, cannabis retailers, testing labs, manufacturers, and growers paid $341,512.50 in fees. Between July 1st and June, July 1st, 2015, and June 30th, 2016. Now, just this year, from July 1st to November 1st, this year, there was another 428,000 paid. Really happy to be able to be above board and contributing to the state at a time where we're absolutely strapped for cash, said Carrie Kerrigan, executive director of the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association, which represents businesses across the state. Those figures only tell part of the story, however. The Alaska Department of Commerce and Community Development, which oversees AMCO, has stated that wants to make the department completely self-funded with fees by fiscal year 2020, which starts in summer 2019. Wow, almost a million dollars? How many people do they have working down there? What's going on? I think we're on track, said Cynthia Franklin, director of AMCO. In fiscal year 2017, which started July 1st, the state provided $1.5 million in startup funds to pay for marijuana regulation. That came atop 700000 the previous fiscal year. Even if fee applications continue at the present pace, AMCO won't make enough in fees to cover that bill. Furthermore, the state splits permit fees with municipalities. If a marijuana farm pays 5000 fee for a permit, half that sum will go directly to the city or borough that hosts it. This is a piece I did not know. Didn't know that they got half. I thought they were just getting taxes. Interesting that the fees come in. So I wonder how local 
I would just go into the general fund again. The figures provided by AMCO don't include that split, and even if they did, AMCO doesn't have permission from the legislature to spend more than 100000 of the money that's collected so far. The remaining 670000 will remain locked away until lawmakers allow the state to spend it. That leaves AMCO in an ironic situation. It's struggling to deal with flood of marijuana demand atop the normal tide of alcohol license renewals, but a state hiring freeze and the locked-up money mean it can't immediately fix the issue. A story personal to me in good sense, I'm really happy with the way AMCO people have been working. The local municipality, Fairbank City, lifted their protest. We got an email from Danny Snyder saying that happened. Call um, call the state office AMCO. Um, they're out of the office. They returned the call. I leave a message. They returned the call a couple hours. Talked to them saying that the it was sent down. Um, we've had the protest lifted. She says she's been swamped with alcohol things. Uh, but she'll get right on it the next day. She'll set aside some time to deal with that. Next morning, I think even before 8 o'clock, the email was sent out saying our license has been set to active. We could contact AMCO. I'm not AMCO, metric. So we ended up doing all those things in two days, which previously with cultivation, it took weeks. I'm not sure what the difference was, but we, we really stayed on top of it this time. I recommend any future licenses stay on top of it. They don't seem to worry about people calling down there. Really nice down there. And um, personal shout out to Jane Sawyer. She was handling the retail side of ours. Back to the story. In Alaska, marijuana businesses, like alcohol vendors, pay both taxes and fees. There's little question that this year the state will make millions of dollars from marijuana taxes. The state taxes 50 per ounce for flour or bud and 15 per ounce for other parts of the cannabis plant. Trim, sugar leaf. Earlier this year, the Alaska Department of Revenue estimated the state will collect $6 million in fiscal year 17 and $12 million in fiscal year 18 from cannabis sales. The first ceremonial retail sale took place October 28th in Fairbanks. Uh, Pagalolo. And the first official store opening took place October 29th in Valdez. Herbal Outfitters. Uh, Great Land Ganja, right? Leaf Abel's herb made it there. The first tax deposit is expected no later than the last day of November. Pruitt and many other lawmakers make a distinction between taxes and fees. Really, the fees should cover the cost of regulation, and taxes should be going toward the state coffers to pay for other things, he said. When he campaigned for office this fall, Pruitt said he heard from voters who said the industry needs to get up and running with help from the state. He's not opposed to that. But in testimony earlier this year, he said he wants to make sure that it isn't a permanent situation. Maybe we need to use some of the taxes first to get it off the ground, but that should be kind of a temporary thing, he said. Carradine said he thinks, We're willing to pay what's reasonable and necessary to move the industry forward, but it'll take time for marijuana to pay for itself on fees alone. He said the state's goal of summer 2019 is a reasonable one that will give the industry time to open its retail stores. Right now, people are paying a ton of money out of pocket. It's really incumbent on us to get our retail operations open, he said. When that happens, the cannabis industry will start to resemble the alcohol one. Hmm, let's hope that we can uh, separate the boards too, right? And when we change the Marijuana Control Board to its own thing, separate from the Alcohol Control Board, let's make a clean break and call it the Cannabis Control Board. Let's get behind that move, huh? Last fiscal year, that industry generated almost $2 million in licensing and permit fees, enough to pay for the alcohol regulation operations in Alaska. So alcohol is generating $2 million right now. Cannabis is $1 million. We shall see how things move along. Who has just changed her ways? It's down to me.
Let me take a little poke here. Going into the Associated Press, November 17th, so just last week, we see how lots of cash is going to be involved. The taxes are going to be um, delivered. In this next story, it talks about only an anchorage, but from what I understand, we, there's an office in Fairbanks that we can deliver them to. But that's it for Ah, smoke buddy's still kicking it for indoor pleasures. All right. So, Associated Press, this is handled through high times. Getting some national attention. Next milestone for Alaska's young pot industry, paying taxes. All right. Becky Bower. Anchorage, Alaska. With legal cannabis sales underway in Alaska, growers will soon be submitting their first tax payments to the state. That's going to be happening this coming week. For most businesses, that wouldn't be a problem. Just cut a check. But some banks are leery about dealing with pot businesses since marijuana remains illegal at the federal level. And that means, at least initially, Alaska legal cannabis businesses could have to make their tax payments to the state by dropping off or mailing bundles of cash. Insanity. What a way to um, encourage crime, huh? How it will work. Department of Revenue has set up a deposit safe in downtown Anchorage, Alaska's only in-person drop site for cash. I heard that there's a Fairbanks one, too. We'll have to see. In a state office where people pay child support and can sign up for Alaska's yearly oil wealth fund check, businesses given a key to access the drop site will place tamper-resistant bags into a tray and close a cover. Banks will then drop into a drum and down a chute to a safe. Wow, this is going to be crazy. This is going to be funny. Can't wait to drop off. Eh, not excited about dropping off taxes, but interesting. The state also is offering a by-mail option where cannabis cultivators can send cash payments via registered mail and have them picked up and brought to the state by an armed carrier. Maybe that's what's happening in Fairbanks. They also can play can pay electronically or by wire transfer, said Brandon Spanos, Deputy Director of the Revenue Department's Tax Division. Again, we'll see how that works. Um, Pacalolo and Frozen Buds, they'll be putting in taxes this week at $50 an ounce. We'll see how those things go. Who pays the tax? Growers are required to pay taxes on sales and transfers of cannabis. 15 an ounce for buds and flowers and 15 an ounce for other parts of the plant. It's a 320 miles round trip from Leaf Abel's family growing operation in the tiny town of Kasilov to Anchorage. Abel, a co-owner of Greatland Ganja, LLC, said the business already has to get product to retail customers around the state and take samples of its products to an Anchorage lab for testing. So you can imagine that one more stop on the way is really not that big a deal, said Abel, who is also on the board of the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association. He said he just has to make sure trips are as efficient as possible. Yeah, cut that, cut those costs. New tax structure. Alaska's, Alaska's first cannabis stores opened last month after the launch of the state's first testing lab. This month will be the first month in which the state begins receiving cannabis tax revenue. Too early to say how much the pot tax might generate, Spanier said. Legislation passed earlier this year calls for half the cannabis revenue collected in Alaska to go into a fund that can be used for programs intended to curb recidivism. Recidivism. That means um, criminals um, doing crime again, getting released and doing the same crime back. So half of the money is going into cannabis I mean, half the canvas taxes are going in to help criminals. Uh, not sure. I, I suppose that's a good thing. It's it's a good thing for society. I wish 
the cannabis taxes would be directed more towards um, education, kids, um, medicinal aspects, research. But that's half. We'll see what the rest have. Um, the rest would go to the state general fund and could be used for anything. Let's hope they use it well. <coughs> Other states with legal recreational pot also have special security measures, measures in place for cash tax payments. In Oregon, revenue officials transformed a small space at their headquarters into a mini fortress for dropping off, counting, and transporting cash to the bank to discourage continued use of cash amid security concerns. And as banks and credit unions began working with businesses, Washington State earlier this year instituted a penalty for those choosing to pay in cash. Taxes paid are owed in Washington since July top $110 million, according to that state's Liquor and Cannabis Board. Mm. All right. Industry challenges. Some banks and credit unions do business with pot proprietors in other states with legalized recreational pot. But Kerry Kerrigan, the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association's executive director, thinks we'll be an all-cash business in Alaska for now. He cited skittishness among the state's bankers. Washington has posted sales and compliance information for marijuana businesses online to help make it easier for banks to suss out any problems. Most businesses there now pay in some form other than cash, said Brian Smith, a spokesman for that state's liquor and cannabis board. That's good news from Washington. We need to do some research on how they're working things. Oregon lawmakers have cleared the way for regulators to share certain data with banks interested in working with the industry to help prove businesses are authorized to operate there, said Mark Pettinger, a spokesman for the Oregon Liquor Control Commission who handles marijuana questions. Come on, Alaska. What's going on? All right. We need to set up low lawmakers with this stuff, right? Take advantage of what's being done. Dicey situation. In states where pot has been legalized, many businesses have been able to get some kind of banking services, sometimes working with a small local institution or getting an account under a personal name or business name that doesn't immediately signal it's a marijuana business, said Taylor West, Deputy Director of National Cannabis Industry Association. But she said banking remains a dicey prospect, and some who have gotten accounts worry about being able to maintain them. Resolving the banking issue is important because operating with only cash presents security concerns, she said. Okay, so... Looking at what Alaska is using their taxes for, half go, half the taxes are going to be used to make sure criminals don't be criminals again. Don't do their, I don't know if it's the same act or any, just maybe it's just general. Make sure they don't do the same act that got them in trouble in the first place. Education, hopefully. And the rest, general fund. Let's take a look quickly at how four states that, just recently legalized cannabis. Um, California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada. So, California. Calif this is from businessinsider.com. And I'm sure it's recent, right? November 12th. Over 63 million Americans now live in states where it's legal to consume recreational weed. Americans said, yes, we cannabis on election day when voters in California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada passed ballot initiatives fully legalizing the use and possession of marijuana without a doctor's recommendation. The four states plus three additional states that approved medical marijuana programs could inject $7 billion to $8 billion a year into the legal marijuana marketplace by 2020, according to preliminary estimates from the Marijuana Business Daily. Newly legalized pot will have a major impact on tax revenue. Though these markets may take years to get up and running, here's how California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada plan to spend their extra tax dollars. We already heard how Alaska is using theirs. Half, we don't know. Half is going to help recidivism. 
California wants to empower communities affected by the war on drugs. Residents of one of the nation's most pot-friendly states will pay a 15% tax on sales of the drug, generating up to $1 billion in new tax revenue annually, according to the state's nonpartisan legislative analysis office. The money generated by California's Proposition 64 gets deposited into a newly created tax loan in the state treasury. $10 million goes to a public university in California for research on legalization. Awesome. $10 million, increasing annually for five years until it reaches $50 million, will support efforts to help communities dis- disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs, which data shows are typically black and Latino. Awesome. $3 million gets distributed to the California Highway Patrol for five years to help establish protocols on how officers might identify drivers under the influence of marijuana. Great. Hits right on the coal memo stuff. $2 million will be spent on medical marijuana research at the University of California at San Diego's Center for Medicinal Cannabis Research. I just love how this is all laid out. It has nothing to do with 50% of it being used however they want. How are Alaska legislators going to use it? Back to California. The California Bureau that oversees marijuana control and other state bodies will receive funds for their reasonable cost. Okay, so it'll be um, the board will actually be funded. Remaining funds will go toward youth drug prevention, education and treatment, environmental restoration and protection, and state and local law enforcement. I love how California is so direct and how they're pinpointing how it's going to be used. Maine will train police officers on the laws around retail marijuana. Good. It's good for the people that are enforcing these laws to know what the laws are. We just heard uh, Frank Berardi's story of how um, eight grams is taken from him by Fairbanks Airport Police. Um, It was just returned to him. It's setting precedents. It's going to be moving across the country. It's always been this gray area. But now TSA is on record of saying they are not searching for cannabis. If they do, they search it. They refer to local authorities. If it's legal in your state, they're going to let it fly, at least in Alaska right now. Back to Maine. The most nail-biting ballot initiative of the election gave Mainers the right to possess a whopping two and a half ounces of cannabis. Wow. More than double the limit in most other states. They'll pay 10% tax on cannabis. The money enters the state's general fund. Hmm. General fund. Okay, let's see what's going to happen. The tax revenue will support education and other vital services. While the full text of the ballot measure clarifies it may be set aside for the main criminal justice academy so it can train law enforcement on the rules and regulations around marijuana dangerous dangerous drink off here hmm. all right what's massachusetts going to do i'm interested about massachusetts because i have a possession charge in massachusetts what a story that is um yeah what the hell all right um I was um, in Massachusetts uh, with uh, some friends of mine. We were living there. They were from the local area. I wasn't. Checking out Boston for a couple of months. And we're driving around, playing pool, driving around, um, going to uh, Thoreau uh, Woods there. You know, what's that called? Um, not sure. The pond. Walden's Pond. 
Um, and we're driving around, smoking joints, going playing pool. There's four of us in the car. We end up driving through the little town of Maynard. And behind us, the lights go on. We pull over. The police chief comes up. He knows everyone in the car except me. He says, ah, boys, um, you don't have a, uh, your brake lights aren't working. He says, uh, hit, hit your brake lights. So friend hits the brakes. Wow. They're working now. But, um, I smell some marijuana in the car, boys. Um, why don't you all step out, put your hands up against the wall over here. I was in a t-shirt and shorts and it was a uh, fall. It was before I moved to Alaska, so I was not used to um, cold temperatures. Standing there, they walk up eat, each of us. Um, friend had um, an ounce on him. And they walk to each of us and they ask me if I'm right or left-handed. I say, I'm, I'm right-handed. He grabbed my hand, smelled it, and says... Ah, oh, I smell can't I smell marijuana. That's possession. He did that to all of us. The one that had the ounce, you know, possession, and uh, we all were arrested that night and put into jail. Spent a couple hours before they let us out, and we saw a judge the next morning. Could not so. Uh, that set up a long road, which brings to criminals and cannabis from that one smell on my fingers that I got a possession charge for in Massachusetts led me to get involved in the system of having to take classes, getting on record that way, possibly even going to jail further, getting warrants all because of smell on my fingers. Uh, I wonder if I can get that record expunged from Massachusetts now. I wonder if it even exists anymore. That was, phew, I don't know, 22 years ago. Let's hope it doesn't exist. I'm going to look into that, though. I'll let you guys know how things how things end up with Midtoker in Massachusetts. Let's see what they're going to do with their taxes. Massachusetts plans to bolster services offered by the states. Massachusetts, which made medical marijuana legal in 2012, broadened access to recreational users on Election Day. It imposes a three and three quarters percent tax on sales, creating an estimated 100 million in annual revenue. Wow, that's a low, that's a low uh, sales tax for it. We can put that money to good use to strengthen our schools, fund veteran services, or bolster our law enforcement and treatment efforts. Reads a statement from the campaign. Okay, so kind of vague on what they're going to do. Um, says. I don't know. It just is what they can do with it. So that's probably a general fun thing, too. <coughs> Let's go to Nevada. Uh, one thing that's great about this, I remember living in Nevada for a little while. And if you got caught with a seed there, they said you were it was felony. So this is beautiful. This is changing. Voters gave a resounding yes to recreational cannabis in Nevada, where weed will become legal to carry and, eat, and given a 15% sales tax. Standard. The industry could bring more than $1.1 billion in tax revenue over the next eight years, according to a study by Las Vegas-based RCG Economics. 
oh man, the tourism coming into Vegas and getting cannabis. That extra money will funnel into the state's general fund and support Nevada schools and public education, as well as implementation and control over the adult use program. Nevada State Senator Tick Zigerbloom told the Las Vegas Sun. So that's great. Uh, schools and helping the um, board that was setting up. What's going on, Alaska? What is going on? It's down to me. Let's move to the last story of the day. Now, when you have a lot of cash around, that is going to be needing security. So let's go. This is from USA Today back in July. And they are looking at security efforts being brought up in Colorado. Denver. The unmarked armored truck rumbles to a stop at a narrow alley, and former U.S. Marine Matthew Carr slides out, one hand holding a folder, the other hovering near the pistol holstered at his hip. With efficient motions, he retrieves a locked leather-bound satchel from a safe set into the truck's side and presses a buzzer outside the door. It swings open to reveal a cavernous warehouse filled with marijuana and a safe stuffed with cash. Wow, it sounds like the beginning of a book. Welcome to the rear guard of Colorado's rapidly expanding legal marijuana industry, where eager users pour millions of dollars, mostly of it in small bills, into buying pot, hashish, and marijuana infused with foods and drinks. All that cash adds up, and there are a few places to put it. Federal regulations, which still classify pot as an illegal drug, make it difficult for marijuana producers to deposit their profits into traditional bank accounts. And those cash-heavy small businesses make awfully attractive and vulnerable targets for criminals. That's where Carr and the company he works for come in. Heading through a warehouse where workers tend young marijuana plants, Carr greets a young woman and the two empty a safe of tens of thousands of dollars in cash neatly packed in plastic envelopes. Like every room in this combined cannabis store and grow house, the smell of pot hangs heavy in the air. Carr double-checks the ledger, locks the satchel, and hustles outside, where former cop Bill Baca waits at the wheel of the armored car. Carr opens the truck safe, pitches the satchel inside, and climbs back into the passenger seat. An AR-15 rifle stashed behind him. It's a scene that plays out six times in three hours. Their take for the day, somewhere close to 100000 in cash. For the first three months, people were just keeping the money everywhere. Walls, mattresses at home, says Sean Campbell, CEO of Blue Line Protection Group, which provides cannabis security services, including car. Bach in the armored car. And banks don't even want to deal with it. You have a quarter of a million dollars in cash show up all at once. The counting time alone is going to take an hour. The unusual problem of having too much cash is forcing business owners to hire security firms like Campbell's, especially after Denver police warned in June of a credible threat against marijuana stores and couriers. Marijuana store owners have suffered some smash-and-grab robberies over the last several years, but surveillance systems and close police attention have solved many of them. Experts say those robberies were largely committed by amateurs rather than sophisticated crime rings. Campbell said he believes it will take a serious high-dollar heist to force smaller marijuana stores to take their security more seriously. State law required marijuana businesses to have security cameras, systems on the premises, and many have armed guards, but they remain easy targets. Stores and grow operations are often are in remote industrial areas and warehouses that have not been hardened against a determined intruder. Many stores have large amounts of pot sitting around in rooms secured only by flimsy wooden doors. Options are limited, however. Unlike most other businesses, marijuana store owners can't easily open bank accounts for fear of running afoul of federal law. Despite Washington State joining Colorado last week in legalizing sales of marijuana for recreational purposes, in 23 states plus the District of Columbia permitting medical pot, 
the federal government still classifies the plant as an illegal drug more dangerous than cocaine or methamphetamine. <sighs> By opening a bank account, pot growers and shop owners run the risk of being charged with money laundering because federal banking laws and regulations are deliberately aimed at tracking large flows of cash like those generated by both legal and illegal drug sales. A single such charge can bring decades in prison, and most banks and pot shop owners don't want to run that risk. When you go into the business and you know it's federally illegal, you're taking your chances, said Tom Gorman, who runs the federally funded Rocky High Mountain, Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Task Force. That's the problem when the state legalizes something that remains illegal at the federal level. While declining to be quoted by name, many marijuana store owners interviewed by USA Today shared tales of playing cat and mouse with banks, managing to keep accounts open for only a few months at a time before getting shut down. U.S. Treasury officials require banks to file what are known as suspicious activity reports whenever they suspect someone is trying to launder money. Anyone bringing in a pile of cash sets off internal alarms for bank workers, pot shop workers say. Federal financial crimes investigators encourage banks to report suspected marijuana transactions because pot remains illegal at the federal level. Now, there is something the banks can use to get around that. This is called a marijuana-specific uh, um, suspicious activity report. It's like a uh, marijuana SAR, what they call it. Same thing as suspicious activity report, only that it's, it's in a special designation of only being cannabis-related. So if they ever suspect anything of you breaking coal memo stuff, they can report you, you get elevated right to the top of investigation, and you're done forever. So there are ways for banks to get around, and it'll be soon. Our goal is to promote financial transparency and make sure law enforcement receives the reporting from financial institutions that needs to police this activity and to make it less likely that this financial activity will run aground and be much harder to track. Whew said Steve Hudick, a spokesman for the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. That's a lot of words there. Legal stuff. Tax and marijuana attorney Rachel Gillette said she's seen banks' concerns firsthand. Several banks she deals with said they wouldn't let her open an account, even though both the federal and state government are allowed to deposit tax payments from pot sellers. Gillette said federally regulated banks say it's just easier for them not to risk getting their hands tainted by pot. They literally told me they would not take my account because I do business with the marijuana industry, Gillette said. It seems fundamentally unfair. The state is taking that money and putting it in the bank. The IRS is taking that money and putting it in the bank. Gillette is suing the IRS on behalf of one of her clients who has been paying federal payroll tax bills with cash. The IRS calls for electronic payments and adds a 10% surcharge for cash payments, she said. With some cannabis businesses paying payroll taxes of 100000 a quarter, those penalties are substantial. Colorado has tried to solve the problem with a new state law permitting a creation of marijuana banking cooperatives, which would have the power to accept deposits, lend money, and make electronic payments. But that system likely won't begin operating for at least another year, said government Hickenlooper. And even then, federal officials would need to bless the plan. It's a good start. Let's get it going. Alaska can do the same thing. The amount of cash already flowing through the fast-growing system has forced state tax officials to change how they accommodate payments. While Colorado allows businesses to pay their taxes in cash, most pay electronically. Marijuana businesses, however, must trek to a central Denver office, cash in hand, where they're met at the curb by armed guards and escorted inside. Some people walk in with shoeboxes. Some people have it in locked briefcases. We've had people bring it in buckets, said Natrice Bryant, a spokesman for the Colorado Department of Revenue. Campbell, who runs the armored car company, said the vast cash flows are a clear come on for criminals. He says he's working with banks to offer alternatives for marijuana businesses, including vault services. 
For many in the cannabis industry, the scene from the Emmy-winning television series Breaking Bad of a storage unit filled with drug cash hits uncomfortably close to reality. Says Campbell, you're effectively creating a magnet for crime. So true. Haven't heard of any crime yet in Alaska's cannabis industry. I believe it's only a matter of time. There's crime everywhere. High amounts of cash. You have to pay taxes in cash. There's trails. People are moving. Taxes. Security. Cash. Taxes. Security. Cash. Taxes. Security. Cash. Taxes. Security. Hey, thank you for joining us on Far North Toker. You can find more episodes on SoundCloud. Search Mid Toker and FarNorthTokers.com. See ya!